Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Live with Rye, the podcast. I'm so thrilled you are joining me today. I hope everyone is doing well and having a good day. I cannot believe we are already into the third week of March, right? Third week. Wow. It's been crazy. I can't believe we're almost at spring. What a year it's been. Anyway, I'm so excited to welcome you to another episode of Live with Rye, the podcast, and well, and excited for you to welcome my very special guest. Today, my special guest is Jamie Forshaw. He's the executive producer, Madison Wells Live. Jamie has had such a career in the producing world. Um, I'm not going to give away too much because I'll let him tell a lot about it, but let's just say Jamie has worked with some of the best in the industry and has been sort of the right-hand man and worked alongside some of the greats of Cameron McIntosh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Disney Theatricals. We're going to talk about his newest role as the executive producer with Madison Wells Live. And for those who love producing and are maybe curious about how to get into it, this is the episode for you. You're going to learn how to get started and what Jamie's career is like. And I'm so excited to talk with him. So please help me welcome my very special guest, the one, the only, Jamie Forshaw. Hey, that's quite an introduction. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Jamie. My pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. It always sounds so much better on paper, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Yes. Well, it's very great to see you. Thank you for doing this. So, I mean, let's get started here. I mean, Jamie, you recently um, joined on as the executive producer at Madison Wells Live, which is so excited. And Madison Wells is currently represented on Broadway with the with Hades Town and Shucked, which just started previews, but they've also been seen with The Inheritance and Company. Um, what is your current position with Madison Wells? And tell us a little bit about um, what you do there. Uh, so I'm the executive producer here. Um, I work alongside uh, Gigi Pritzker, who uh, who owns the, the company and um, is very uh, hands, hands on and strong fold of us in the creative development here. Um, we essentially have been de developing the live division for the last four years um uh in its new entity um creating and developing new ip so we're establishing new projects um from the ground up um at the same time as co-producing in the shows as you've aforementioned this season we've got shucked and we've got hades town on, on broadway already um we had the old man of the pool um and several others um and so essentially we're, we're hand in hand doing two things creating new work at the same time as um working alongside partners um, to, uh, supporting their own work as co-producers. I love that. So they're so you're working on on projects that like you would be lead producing eventually. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the projects right. that we develop as IP, um, we've got several in play right now. We've got about six projects that we're developing in different stages of uh, creation. So we're working with the directors and the writers, um, developing those at the same time as working as a co-producer with with the various shows. We also have a show that's about to open, well, I say about to open, we did it at Berkeley last year, mm -hmm. away, uh, written by John Logan, directed by Michael Mayer, um, and music by the Avid Brothers, which we are taking to Arena Stage in November. Well, that's very exciting. But let's take a step back for just a second and tell me a little bit more about how did you get started in your love for the arts and your love for theater and, um, you know, how did that lead to producing? I mean, obviously, I know you grew up across the pond. I love the accent. I think, you know, and I, and I also love uh, British uh, plays and literature. And obviously, the theater was founded in with British you know, British roots. So how did you get started uh, in, in your love for the arts? 
Um, so I think like all of us, right? I think essentially all of us, there, there's something as a kid, right? We just love this, the, the, the performing element. We don't know what that means or what that is. We don't know about stage management and producing and lighting and sound. All we just know is there's this fun thing called entertainment, right? This makes us laugh or cry, whatever it is. So I think like most people, I, I gravitated toward acting. So I, that's the one way I knew what I was doing at school. I knew that was my outsource. So I ended up doing my degree, my first degree as an actor. Um, and I graduated when I was 18, uh, um, 21 as an actor. And I, I worked in London and England and various different things. Um, but I always wanted to come to New York. I always, I don't know what it was as a kid. I, well, I know what it was. I watched Cagney and Lacey. So growing oh. up, I, uh, that was my vision of what America is, is like Cagney and Lacey. Um, my, my parents took me to Disney. I was very lucky to go to Disney World as a, as a youngish kid. And, uh, and it was a, a very different world to what Cagney and Lacey showed me. Wow. Uh, and so I, I essentially jumped on a plane. I came to New York, met um, some friends who were working on Broadway, stayed here for a few months. And I, I came as an actor and I tried to establish myself as an actor. And I was very young and I'd say naive, not stupid. What I just assumed, <laughs> I wrongly assumed that um, if I got the job, somebody would get me my working papers. I didn't know what a green card was. I didn't know any of that stuff. And of course, I very quickly found out that that was not the case. So I, I kind of made a pact to myself that when I went back to England, um, to London, I would take whatever work I could that I thought would eventually be able to move me back to America. So I'd have help doing that. Um, and um, I ended up within the first week or so of getting back to England, Cameron McIntosh was, um, had just announced that he was about to invest 45 million pounds of his own money, uh, redeveloping the theaters in West End, um, Delphine McIntosh theaters, which they're now known as. He had seven theaters that he was refurbing. And I, long story short, I ended up going to, I, I, I applied and I got a job and I worked for, as an assistant to, um, the, in the architect's firm overseeing that and I, it was fascinating to see the back, you know, the how the theatre worked, which as an actor was, again, a little bit naive. That it was all about me. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> nothing else mattered. Um, so I, I got to kind of experience this world that I didn't know anything about. And through that job, I actually started to understand about stage. I, 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 I kind of taught myself, you know, from watching and learning stage management, lighting, sound, producing. I mean, obviously, Cameron's a, a well-known producer. Um, but like Cameron, he, I'm not comparing myself to Cameron by saying this, but Cameron started from the ground up as well. He was a stage doorman and he learned everything really? from the ground up. And he, oh. that's why he's such an, you know, so great at what he does. He just, and the same as Tom Schumacher at Disney, they have, they've all, they've all done each of the jobs. They learn them so well that they can talk and they, conver they converse to those creatives in the language that they all speak, like independently that each of those divisions. I think that makes, you know, the same way a director who's been an actor is such a good actor's directors because they know that they know that world. And that I think that's one thing I got to say, I learned very quickly from Tom and, uh, and, and Cameron is that learn everything around you and everything about as much as you yeah. can about what it is that makes these individual creative fields tick because it's, it, it clearly is very important. You know, we have to speak to each other in the, in the languages needed. 
Um, so I think I've diverted from the question at hand, which was what, how did I get into this? Uh, and essentially, I, I I basically went. I did that. I basically did that. I went to. I sat during the Saigon, and I sat in the lighting booth, and then I went and sat in the wow. stage office, and I did that with Saigon and Les Mis and Cats and. And I was very lucky that I got to do it. I was in a time, you know, back, we're talking 20 years ago, where I was able to do that. Oh my gosh. And quite quickly that, I mean, I summarized like two years of my life, uh, but quite quickly, I, and I hadn't been acting in that time. And I realized that, you know, that was okay. There was a lot yeah. of learning. Um, I, I kind of, I said to Cameron, I'd love to learn how to produce and know what that is. And he's like, well, you know, you're doing it. That's, this is what it is. Um, at that time, Cameron was working with Disney and it hadn't been announced at this point, but they were doing Mary Poppins. Oh, um, right. Yes. Well, you can't I was going to say, yes, you have, you have quite the posters behind you, Mary Poppins, Cats. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yes. Um, behind me, there's a whole wall of my memorabilia. Um, <laughs> but, um, I essentially, I end up, they, they were they were collaborating. Disney hadn't really- Oh, I see, wait, I see the poster says Jamie Poppins. Oh, I yeah. see. When I left Disney, so for those that can't see this, there's a picture of me as Mary Poppins. <laughs> so when I left Disney to come to America, actually, they got that poster for me. That's funny. Um, this is, that's very boring for all the podcast listeners that can't see what you're seeing. <laughs> um, the, um, uh, I'm, I'm, again, I've lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. I, I realized that there was more to what I enjoyed in theater than just being on stage. And, and actually, I was probably better at it off stage than I was on. So I carried on with this. And I ended up, through this collaboration that Disney and Cameron McIntyre were about to have, I, thought, I felt like that was a really good transition. So I, I actually, I applied and I ended up going to work for Disney Theatricals in London. Wow. And um, long story short very long story short, I end up being in Bristol throughout the whole run and development of Mary Poppins with Cameron and Disney. Yes. And I got to look after the Sherman brothers who were over and oh. that was incredible to work with them and to be around them and the, the most delightful, wonderful Richard Eyre um, and the whole, the whole team, Bob Crowley. It was, it was a wonderful, for me as a young, at the time, 25, 26 year old kind of actor turn, slightly turning not at the time knowing the producer. Right. Um, it was an incredible, amazing learning opportunity experience, which I'm forever grateful for. Uh, Tom Schumacher was extremely great, uh, gracious with his time and understanding, and also to be in the room where Cameron also was. So I had that. Yeah, yeah um, I'm sure. It was, it, it was a, a, mo a time in history that was perfect for all the right reasons for me. Mm -hmm. It was, Puts me makes me very lucky and I never forget that. But essentially it made me realize that I really enjoyed this world of what this creation was. Um, so I worked on Mary Poppins. Tom went back to America. I became the kind of liaison for Tom in he's on the feet on the ground in England. Right. Uh, obviously knowing Cameron's office, it made that very easy. And um, eventually it moved you know, Mary Poppins came to New York and I was like, oh my God, seven years later, is this my moment that I get to go to America? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, Disney couldn't oh. do my, my working papers. So I actually went to Columbia University. I applied for a program they had, which was wow. a producing and theater management program. I looked, found it online and I looked at it and said, 
wow, this actually sounds incredible. Jerry Schoenfeld, who at the time you know, was still alive, was, a, was an adjunct professor, Nancy Coyne, um, Chris Bono, um, mm-hmm. and, oh God, I'm, I'm Paul, Paul Libin, I'm, I'm blanking on this. So many good so names, yeah. Everybody and anybody. So many, and any, um, um, oh, I, Bernie Gersten, there's so many, but but um, so many good, yeah, so we, many good names. We uh, <laughs> so many good names. Sorry, yes, I I I I, I travel stories, but um, Tori Bailey. Anyway, um, I applied and I was glad to get in, and I went there, and um, I also my eyes were open to this world of producing, and through through that program, I interned at the Park Avenue Armory. Um, they had they hadn't established themselves as a as a as who they are now this amazing uh, arts complex essentially. Um, I did their first theatrical show there as a production coordinator as an intern. I think my payment was an NTA uh, subway card for the month, and um, uh, I, it was called. It was very important. Dissel Darton, and um, it was it was an incredible experience. They asked me to stay on, so I did a different intern, a different show. And then eventually they employed me and applied for my green card. And I got my green card through the Park Avenue Armory, which was an amazing experience. Robert, uh, Rebecca Robertson, um, who is still there, um, has developed in the most incredible venue. Um, I left after a few years. I think I was there for three and a half years or so. I left to go and work for Michael Cole, who at the time was producing a small musical, um, which uh, was uh, Spider-Man. So I worked on Spider-Man for a few years, as well as our stuff that Michael was doing. And then I got a phone call um, to come and work for Andrew Lloyd Webber's really useful group uh, yes. as uh, the VP of production I, uh, yes. over yes. there. And was overseeing the first class productions of Andrew's shows. So yes. my, to, yes. my trajectory, that, that sounds like, that sounds so glamorous and right time, but it was about grafting and kind of working out, you know, there's so many, there's so many, like you can, there's so much work that you can do to create your own luck, which is where yeah. you, by, I believe in the power of gratitude and, and willing things out there, speaking, speaking your future, speaking your dreams. And I think eventually you can speak those into existence that comes, of course, that comes with work, etc. But those doors can open for you. But I truly believe that You've got to walk through that in through that door, and you've got to make your name in that room. Wow! You, a door can open, and you can go into the room, but you have to be able to keep yourself in the room, and that's different I, to creating your own. Yeah, um, I think that's so. I think no, you're, carry you're, on. you asked me. No, no, I was going to say I think you're so right with with that, and and I mean especially with creating your own opportunities and opening the door. I mean, what a career you have had, and I mean when you you know going back just a little bit when you. We're working with Cameron. I mean, that's it sounds like he was so open to having you work with him. And that sounds wonderful. You know, I mean, I'm, I've heard he has mentored so many, you know, producers who are working right now. So it seems like you really must have got, you know, hands on experience. And then to also be in the same realms and the likes of Tom Schumacher, who I know is also someone that I've heard is very mentoring, somebody who's very open to working with new generations of producers or people who want to work in the theater. I mean, 
and it to be on a mammoth that is a Disney show where they have just unlimited amounts of money to put into things. So you get to sort of see a production aspect that is sort of bigger probably than any mammoth that's out there of a Broadway entity or of a musical entity. So that must have been, I mean, was, were there a lot of people like it's that were also vying to also work with Cameron and Tom too? Or did you just happen to just be in the right place at the right time when the moment came about? Cause I feel like, Everybody would want to be working with um, Cameron McIntosh. Yeah, I think it, it's a great question. And I think it goes down to the back to that kids of making your own luck. Okay, so yeah. I didn't apply for a job to work with Cameron McIntosh. I didn't apply for a job to work with Tom Schumacher. Um, I didn't apply for a job to work with Andrew. It was all, they were jobs that happened to, there was a space that needed to be filled. Right. And I, and once I filled that, so, so, uh, with with both Tom and uh, and with both Disney and and Cameron's, they were essentially office jobs. Right, they were admin office jobs, which I went in there knowing that I I knew if I got in the room, I could make my presence known somehow. Like I I will I will verbalize how to make this work for me and not the other way around. And I think that's what I went in doing. So these were office jobs that could have quite frankly just remained office jobs and I could have done my job, gone home and carried on with my nine to five job and no one, no one would be none the right wiser. And, you know, but I made myself known. I made my voice heard. I spoke up, not, wow. not in a, an aggressive or, a, you know, a rude or obnoxious way. It was more about my thought, my opinion and, 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 and trying to be seen. And, um, and if you can do that in a respectful way, I think that le that led to what, you know, to what the stories we're talking about now, really, wow. my career. I, I made those work for me, not the other way around. And so, that's, I, so that's yeah, important. working with, I think it's really important. I think, you know, I, I, a lot of people say, you know, that's incredible. You got to work with Cameron and Tom and absolutely hands down the best experience ever, ever. And they're great, wonderful people and mentors, and I'm lucky enough to be able to still call them friends. But I, I didn't apply for a job with them. I, I'm, I think that's what's, I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's really important to know that you just got to get yourself mm -hmm. through the door, right? Which is sometimes easier than done. I get that. I understand that. But get yourself in the door. It doesn't matter if it's not, if it, it's not an assistant to ex Hollywood star or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's in the room you can turn that into what you need it to be for you. And that's important to remember. A lot of people say, you know, that's great, you've got that. I say, just take any job, take any job. It doesn't, you've got to do the job. Like you have to do that, sure. admin, if it's office cleaning, you've got to, but, you're in, but you're in the office and you can yeah. do, you can make what, that in your favor. You can. Wow. Well. And I mean, so you mentioned, yes, you went on to work for Andrew Lloyd Webber at Really Useful Group, where you worked your way up to vice president of production. And I mean, clearly, I mean, you answered my question because I was going to say, I assume you worked alongside Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, I, I mean, what what was that like? I have to say, Really Useful Group, I grew up on them. That truly, that company, if it wasn't for Andrew Lloyd Webber, if it wasn't for Really Useful Group, I don't know if I would be where I am today with the love of theater. I mean, I first got introduced to them in when I was in grade school and I watched Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with Donny Osmond and Maria Friedman. 
And that was on repeat constantly. After that, I was hooked. I was hooked on it. Joseph is one of my favorite musicals of all times. The I and really and that's where I really got introduced to really useful group and Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he has held a special place in my heart, both as a composer of uh, of his songs, of his music, but also the shows. And so, what was the, that day to day like being? and managing and being uh, the executive, the, the excuse me, being the vice president of production there. I assume there was so much more that went into it than just overseeing the current productions, because obviously there's touring productions and there's regional theaters and everything and probably new productions in the work. So, I mean, what was that like? Yeah, you say a good thing there, right? But it's so much more than what the new shows you're creating. There's, you know, he's, Andrew's, very smart clearly he's built an empire and it's based on his works and, and the licensing of those works and where they play around the world so my a lot of my job was overseeing and managing those shows and those relationships with those theaters and those venues right. and producers around the world to make sure that they can constantly would be taken on yeah. those uh those shows so you've you got your phantoms play at any, at any given point we had about 45 to 50 uh productions around the world playing of major productions like at the first class productions oh my god so it was a it was an in, you know it was an intense insane amazing six years of my life andrew is all the things and the more that you just mentioned and and same with me without really useful group i don't know if i would be where i am today in, in terms of like the theatrical uh person i am i the first show i ever my parents took me to was uh, Phantom and then Starlight Express and oh. so you know I met Starlight Express I think it was my 11th birthday or so and I, wow. I remember it vividly um, one of my proudest one of my proudest moments and I've been lucky enough to have a few but one of them was like taking my mom to see Phantom after work, when working with Andrews I forget which anniversary maybe it's 27th or 28th in, in the West End um, sitting in Andrew's seats you know with Andrew and my mom and in phantom and we're sitting here and i remember looking up and we looked right up to the you know the third balcony and you could see the seats that we sat in when the first show i'd ever seen in a, in a west end theater and i said mom that from up there to, to sitting next to andrew was just it's insane. it was crazy amazing beautiful moment but you oh know he's God. he's everything you want him to be he's a he's a, a, a wonderful person he's kind he's smart he's funny um oh he's, yeah he's a a genius. Pure but you genius. know what I like about Andrew? I was saying this the other day. He is a genius, but he 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 also loves to recreate new things. So he'll he wants to know who, who the, the, the new person is and he wants to learn and understand. He's constantly trying to learn and, and improve and you know what not that you can improve on genius, but you know like he wants to know the new stuff and I, I really respect that in a creator. Um and you know, he, he does amazing stuff. So he's beyond, he's Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, beyond amazing. Time. Yeah, I mean, beyond yeah. amazing so, stuff. I, yeah. I remember, I remember my first. I used to perform when I was a kid too. I say to people, I gave up my dancing shoes in 2013 after I graduated high school. I knew that was not the route for me. But throughout high school, I performed in one of the sh the first regional theater. Well, not regional theater, but the semi professional community theater show I did was Joseph in the Amazing the Color Dreamcoat and. I mean, I remember how big of a deal that was for me to be able to do this community theater show, a show that I love so much, and to do Joseph. Um, so, I mean, it's it, he's he's had such a mark on on theater, and so to be able to um, hold that job that you did, and to have such a 
a say and to, to, to be such a part of a company in our workings like the really useful group uh that during such a pivotal time and it still is a pivotal time for that company that must have been truly remarkable and you know so many great things um have come out of that company obviously the classics we know and then new things you know school of rock wizard of oz there's bad cinderella um all of that stuff you know yeah he, he keeps going i think there's a few more shows in andrew still i think so too so, yeah I, I he's think so too yeah, he, I mean, he's a pioneer and it, and it's, you know, it is It's funny when you think of that. When you say it out loud, you think this one person has done Evita, Cats, um, Joseph, Sunset Boulevard, Phantom. I, I'm, I'm blanking on so many names I know, but like the list goes on. And Starlight Express on what on all the shows that Andrew's done. It's, it's, it's incredible, really. I mean, it's it's it's, it's incredible. It's it's so incredible and such a mammoth of a of productions. I mean, I you know he's he's left a mark on on musical theater forever. And and so now I'm curious. You know, there's been I feel like especially as we've gotten out of this in this post pandemic world and we've been more into a time of like we're seeing people create their own things. We're seeing people. You know, there's been a shift from just like you know people can you can truly do it all right you can be an actor and a producer you can be a producer and a this right and people are learning to form their own paths and i know that the topic of producing has been uh so interesting for a lot of people and on their minds and so i'm curious you know how how can somebody get started in producing aside from just getting in the door i know that there's sort of sometimes there's this it, it, it's almost like this big big dark secret producing which it really isn't because there's obviously the co-producing level and stuff but it seems a lot of people feel like sometimes you have to have all this money and you have to have rich friends and rich associates to get into producing or to even get your foot in the door and that's obviously not necessarily true and so i would love to get you know um how your take is just how can people start um you know uh to get involved in producing aside from obviously you know getting their foot in the door and being present how could they get started and involved it's it, right. It's a really good question, um, and I don't think there's any one right answer. And I think if you ask any producer, I think there's two. There's a twofold here answer. To, um, I think if you ask any one producer or any producer, they'll give you. Obviously, they'll all give you different answers. And I think it's also that if you ask them what a producer does, you'll never get the same answer from one producer. Mm -hmm. So. I think it's important to, to note that when you say how to get into producing, it's like, what does producing mean to you? What is it you want to produce? And I don't mean what style of theater. I mean, what is it you want to physically produce? Produce means to create something, right? So what is it you want to produce? So for me, ultimately, if you boil, if you boil it down, no matter what it is, it's relationships. If you boil down anything that I've done, it's about my relationships. It's how I've maintained relationships. It's how I've created relationships paired with what I want to produce. So I'm, I'm paired, like, and that doesn't mean I need to raise money because maybe money, maybe money raises is not your forte and therefore you need to work with a producer that is. So you, you, then you build your relationships in that way. And that again, comes down to relationships. Yes. So I would say the one, there's two things I'd say. One is always, always, always be kind and nice to everyone, at least to their face. No, but no, always be kind because that someone is a, is a, a someone yes. and B will sometime, will one time be your above you and below you. It just, you don't know where that, where the ecosystem all falls. Be nice to everyone. It comes back. It does. Relationships are important. 
if you see someone or someone does something for you or anything, don't send it, you know, and we're so used to text messages and emails and stuff. Nothing can be, even to, to this day and age, a handwritten thank you letter. That will build a, a strong relationship more than you can ever imagine. And trust in that, trust. Thank you notes and politeness are important. Those relationships, don't think about the here and now. Think about the long game. Always think about the five, the 10 years from now. Build relationships because those relationships are what you're going to, those relationships are what in five years' times are how you're going to speak, ask someone to give you favors, et cetera. Hence, producing, I'm, can you come in on my show? Co-producing, you go to shows because you love them and you want to be associated with those shows. You're proud of the work that that's being created and you want to be associated with it. Sometimes you're also doing it because your friends be producing it or you, you want, you want those, that producer to work in your show. So it's, that's more of a scratch your back, scratch my back kind of situation. Um, but ultimately, how do you get into producing is, is the age old question, I guess. But there is no right, no wrong answer. For me, it was about always building relationships, building relationships, building relationships, getting inside a room, no matter which that means. Is it an intern at MTC? Does it mean interning down at the public or with Dan Stone or, um, you know, or yeah. Disney, whoever it exactly. is? It's, it's getting into a room and listening and learning and building relationships. And it doesn't have to be a producer that you're building a relationship. It can be an actor, it can be a lighting designer, a sound designer. It could be another person that is nothing to do with theater. But the more you start talking and finding your love of the same style of theater and the same concept, you will form a unit more than you, quicker than you can imagine that just develops into producing something. And again, it goes back to my question of producers just creating something, right? So it doesn't mean I need to raise a million dollars to put this on. How am I going to raise a million dollars? I don't even have a hundred dollars. You're, you're coming at it already, putting a wall up against yourself. Come in it as a, why am I doing this? This is fun. This right. is, we're in this entertainment because essentially as, essentially as kids, we loved doing this. And I think that's important to always remember why you're in this industry and in this business we're lucky enough to, hopefully, we're lucky enough to be being paid and, and earning some kind of salary or an MTA card. And, um, and hopefully, eventually, that becomes something. But always remember, it's fun and you're producing something that you love and you want to do. Yes. I know I didn't essentially answer your question. You did. I, okay, good. You what did. You did. And so now, you know, and I'm curious, as we sort of start to wrap up here, um, what you know, what are some challenges you are seeing um, as this in this post-COVID world as we reemerge from, um, you know, obviously years of theater being shut down and now we're back? Um, what are some challenges you are seeing that are holding up the production end of things that are still making it difficult, um, like for people on your end who are developing new shows, leading new shows that are making it challenging that you're still we're still sort of having some run-ins with that you're noticing from the production end, whether it's, you know, or whether it's you know COVID related or not, whether it's expenses, what are some of the challenges we are seeing um, nowadays? Well, I, <clears throat> I don't want to get in trouble with anyone here, but I would say um, it's the age old, age old, it's expenses. I think yes. there's a myth um, surrounding producing and producers is that we're rich <laughs> and have loads of money. And if it shows a success, we're making loads of money. I mean, yes, that does happen if there's a successful show. Of course, the idea is that hopefully everyone's making money, but there's the myth that producers come with a big bag of gold and let's put on a show. And that doesn't happen. 
Um, we have to go out and raise money and it's hard and it's really hard, especially post pandemic. Yes. Um, people are more, um, you know, holding on to their money more and, and not so willing to, to, to depart from that unless they think there's a sure success. But we all know that there's no crystal ball in theater. We, no one's going to know what, sh- what show is going to be successful and what show is not. No. Which is why you have to love what you do. Back to that question, that, you know, old age old, love what you do. You're not going to get paid well for it. But I think essentially it's costs. They're very prohibitive. Um, they're rising. They're not going down. It makes it extremely tough. And I have to say, you know, being from London, it, I realize how much I miss producing in London because oh, yeah. the costs are significantly cheaper. And this, I'm not saying any secrets here. We all know that. No, you're right. I have heard that that's the age old thing I've constantly heard is how cheaper it is. Well, first off, how great the audiences are in London compared to here, but that's a different story. But uh, also how cheap it is to produce in London compared to here, just cost wise. Yeah, it's the cost thing. And I think there's a there's a more there's a there's a bigger freedom in creating in England or, or at least outside of America. America becomes very prohibitive in creating because of contracts and money and all things that people should have. I'm not standing here saying, you know, let's do things for free. Everybody should be paid and paid, paid correctly. Um, but there's a, a creative freedom is, is taken away when you have to start developing those contracts in those moments before you can really kind of dig in and establish what this is. You know, I could yeah. spend a couple of days with some friends and England and really kind of, hey, what's this thing that we want to do? And really like, let's sit around, around a room and play with this for a couple of days. You know, that thing we love doing, which was when we were kids, we would love this because we were having fun, right? Right. This yes. for a few days as adults. Oh, great. There's this thing we've established. This can be something. Now let's do the serious thing about, you know, going into a room and really doing this and speak to agents and managers and contracts and legal things and all that stuff. But trying to put that before you've done trying to do all the legal before you've done all the creative kind of is count for me feels counterproductive but like i said i don't want to get in trouble here no you're no listen no trouble jamie this is a safe open space i am i say to people you be yourself the best thing about live with ryan friends is it's a place where people can be themselves without fear of judgment so whatever you say here is uh you know there's no judgments here on my end you say which whatever you'd like But that I think that will I think I think I've answered your question. I think you have. It's, yes. It is kind of it, ultimately it's always going to come down to costs. Costs are yeah. rising and costs aren't going to come down. Well, and and everything's becoming more expensive. Costs are rising, and I think it's and I think that that's ultimately what people forget in the long run. I mean, you're right with the, you know, somebody who's in the the, the producing realm. Yeah, I do I do hosting and producing, but producing is also a passion of mine. And you know, when pe- people think as you say they think that these producers come with you know pockets of gold we think of back in the day when the producers you know had the the top hats and the suits and the you know everybody thinks that that they come in with you know loads and loads of money and you know sure there are some that you know have a show and do very well but for amount of, for that one show that does well there's several others that flop and there's still a staff to pay there's still a show to put on there's still expenses and i think you know until somebody gets into that steps into those shoes of um, of producing, whether it's a small project such as a small cabaret show or a off-Broadway show or even something as large as a Broadway show. Until they're in those shoes, I, people, I think, don't realize 
just how expensive and how prohibited things are, um, you know, and, and how, you know, as you said, the red tape and creating something that you really want to do that red tape that holds you back. And, um, you know, I, I under, so I understand that. And I, and I, and I, I I've seen it once, well, you know, cause I, I see a lot of times you, uh, people who, who say those things. And then once they're on the opposite end and once they're on that create that producing end and they see just how difficult it is and they start to understand a little bit more, just really how, how tough, tough it is. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm dying to get over to, to, to London, to England, but to see a West End show, but the, the, the way that things are created over there are just magnificent. And some of the best shows come out of there have started there. And uh, what you all have created over there is just some is beautiful. And uh, so, well, I take full credit. So thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, so as we finish up here, um, Madison Wells currently has uh, shucked, which is in previews right now. It opens in a few weeks. Hades Town. Um, let's t tell me a little bit about Shucked uh, for those who uh, may not know. I'm seeing it this Friday. I'm very excited. But tell us about sh uh, this new musical Shucked, which is seems to be very you, popular so far. You know, well, I will say, I will say, Mike Foss is the lead producer on that, and I have to say, Mike, I love working with Mike. He's a great, great guy. Robert Horn and Jack O'Brien with Mike create a very funny very funny show. I don't know if I want to say anything more than other than, you know, I don't want to raise any expectations and of I course. guess I very funny already have, but it's, it's, it's a show that I would just say, it's not a show that I would have assumed to creatively put myself to, but I am so proud to be with that show. I think it's a very funny, um, you, you listen, to what I, 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 I don't know if this is a compliment or not. I mean it as a compliment. I go to Target and I want to go. Want to, I want to get one thing from Target. I always come out with a trolley full of stuff that I don't need. I kind of see shut as that. I go in because I want to see a fun show. I come out with so much more. It's wow. so fun. It's a really. I'm going back to see it again tonight just because I want to laugh. That's what I've heard from so many who have seen it so far, and I think that's the magic of I think that show. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The way that the advertising has been done has been very creative because a lot of people are like, well, what's the show about? What is this? What shucked? And there's corn on the cover. What is this? Is it a sh like, what's the musical about? And I think that that I was talking with somebody and that, that the way that the advertising and the way that it's been talked about is sort of so subtle and so fun, but also makes you say like, what the hell is this in a good way? And then you like, you go in and you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. I think it's very smart. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward, uh, you know, so far the word of mouth has been terrific, which as you know, is very important and I'm looking forward to seeing it and um, can't wait to, to see what comes of it. Well, I hope you enjoy it and you must let me know what you think. I will for sure. Well, listen, Jamie, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Um, I know you have work to do. Thank you so much for chatting with me and um, giving some insight into your exciting career and what you're doing um, presently and what you have been doing. Is there anything that um, we didn't get to touch on or anything that you'd like to promote or talk about that maybe uh, I didn't chat on. No, I think we, I mean, I think we touched on quite a lot, but I would just say, you know, I've got, we've got shows in development, which we're, you, in due time we'll, we'll talk more about, I'm sure. And the one that we're working on right now is the Swept Away, which we talked about with uh, yeah. John Logan and Michael Mayer. And um, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's it. I mean, but that come up in, in arena stage uh, in November. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks. Enjoy. 
Hi friend, it's Rye Myers, your Broadway and entertainment BFF. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Live with Rye, the podcast. I hope you got value out of it. Hey, do me a big favor. Download this episode and make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more five-star ratings and review that I have, the better this podcast does. So I need your help and support. So make sure you leave that five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcast. And hey, if you want to watch this episode or all my other podcast episodes in video form, you can click the link in the show notes to go to my YouTube channel where you can see all of these episodes in video form. It's really, really cool. So make sure you head over there to watch this in full video form as well. Well, thank you so much for watching and I will see you next Thursday for another episode of Live with Rye the Podcast. Make sure you keep it locked here for all episodes of Live with Rye the Podcast. Thanks so much and have a great night.